Hello and welcome to I Was Just Wondering with me, Tom Salmon, the show that dives into music, film and games and everything else in between. My guest on this week's show is the fashion designer, artist and writer, Amanda Coraz Silva. So for people who aren't familiar with you and your work in the fashion industry, who are you and what do you do? Hello, I'm Amanda Coladis Silva and I am, I've trained in fashion design. I'm a fashion designer, um, artist and occasional writer. Oh, right. Fantastic. So as always, I prepared uh, four topics for us to talk about today. And the first topic is the artist Sao Paulo and God. Um, so we did speak briefly about you growing up in Sao Paulo, which wasn't the case. But let me start by asking this question. Um, so um, what was it like? <laughs> Actually, where did you grow up? Maybe we should just start about where you sort of like um, where you grew up, I guess. Um, yeah, no worries. So I grew up in uh, Harrow in London, but both my parents are from Brazil. Uh, my mum's mm. from Rio de Janeiro, which you've probably heard about. And my dad's from a place in Goiânia, which is next to Brasilia. So next to the centre of Brazil, near the uh, capital city. Um, and yeah, I was born and raised in London. So contrary to popular belief, you were born, <laughs> you were born in Sao Paulo. Yeah, unfortunately not. That was like a common mistake, probably more to do with me than to someone who said that I was from Sao Paulo. Um, a very a misunderstanding of what they meant by where are you currently now? <laughs> which at the time right. I was at Sao Paulo, which I have family who live there. So mm. it's not too far off, luckily. Luckily, I wasn't in like Thailand or, you know, Iceland. Right. So something just very random. <laughs> okay. Um, so the second part of that question was, how did you find going to church on Saturdays and how did that influence your creative early thoughts? Um, going to church on Saturdays, yeah, that was basically my life up until the age of probably 16. And people always found it funny that we went to church on Saturdays because mm. uh, they would always assume like, you know, religiously, oh, you go to church on Sunday. Uh, but really... We went to a Brazilian church and because the British church of that building would congregate on Sunday, we had it on Saturday. Right. So, um, yeah, we used to go to church on Saturday. How did that influence my creative? Yeah, early creative thought. Um, I just sort of pick up on like the idea of religious iconography. Um, the, also the idea of like rebirth and also religious artifacts are very, or tend to be very beautiful, very opulent things. I just wondered if that's something that had sort of influenced you at all. Yeah, for sure. So actually my my church was a very sort of, in terms of like opulence and like visual sort of iconography mm. and things. Um, I'm not Catholic, so I come from like more of a Pentecostal Baptist background. Yeah. Um, and so we, we our church was more like a, sort of a building that you hired with like a stage. Right. So very, very simple, very, very basic, but definitely what inspired me from growing up in church was obviously discovering my relationship with God mm -hmm. and how as a creative person who thinks a lot with, is it the left side of our brain that's creative, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I'm yeah. a lefty in terms of brain and I think very visually um, going to church and diving into sort of spirituality in that way uh, married creativity in me because, you know, we would learn about things such as like heaven mm -hmm. and we would learn about, if you've ever read scriptures before, some of the description is so detailed and so sort of 
otherworldly you know it's kind of almost like lord of the rings narnia meets yeah. you know so it was kind of like this curiosity in me of well, what does it mean to live in this other world what does the afterlife mean yeah and you know um and also worship as well so worship music and at the time dance in within brazilian church culture was very uh popular yeah so i grew up on like the dance team and okay. we used to wear like ballerina flats and like had these like long white and gold and silver dresses that like someone on the dance team would like hand make and like sew herself mm -hmm. and i just remember being so sort of fascinated with the leaders of the dance group and how beautifully they dance but also how they made their own clothes right. and i kind of always wanted to sort of do that so that was kind of like a starting point to maybe fashion dance spirituality you know sort of creating an art form through mm. you know dance and clothes um in yeah at church and also just that curiosity of otherworldly things and like sort of how we need to because spirituality is something that you don't necessarily see yeah. you feel you have to create that picture in your own mind and use mm. your own creativity so yeah growing up in church and listening to the music and participating in the dance and participating in the study which was about otherworldly things i just sort of that was definitely a huge part of how it, it made me question like you know otherworldly things which made me want to create my own worlds yeah inspired by my experiences i see i see um, so just following on for that question, because you were you didn't grow up in Sao Paulo, we've established that. Um, you grew up in Harrow. Um, and I guess London is a city of extreme wealth and poverty. Mm. So could you tell me of an early experience that you saw of that on a day-to-day -day level? Of extreme wealth and poverty? Y yeah. I, well, the, the reason why I sort of like ask is because fashion in itself is a very glamorous, maximalist, can-be um, uh, industry. But yet it's born out of a lot of the most successful people are born out of uh, through very traumatic, poverty inspired uh, experiences. I mean, a prime example would be Alexander McQueen, which we spoke about just sort of briefly. So I just wonder in terms of what was there anything about these two worlds that you found, I guess, like jarring, I guess. Mm, I guess a, a way to, you know, being from Brazil. Brazil is very known to be a country that has extreme wealth and extreme mm. poverty. And maybe not to dive too much into spirituality again, but something I always found interesting is that um, the sort of more poorest parts of Brazil's Brazil is the part that, you know, are most inclined to seek out God. Yeah. And I think that is also always really interesting to me. Um, and I remember once having a conversation with a friend who's, um, quite wealthy and, and them mm. mentioning how God isn't, they don't really need God in their life. And yeah. I always found that really interesting. Um, I guess an, a recent experience about sort of wealth and things that kind of sparked something interesting in me was, yeah. you know, I mean, maybe it's not wealth, but sort of that like contrast between mm. Harrow and central London, for example, yeah. is, you know, growing growing up in zone six, mm. which is the closest train station to me, you know, my, my dad would always have jobs in zone one. Right. In like these quite fancy places around like Oxford Street and around these places in central London. So I remember driving, going to work with my dad, mm. you know, just because sometimes we'd go to work with my parents and 
like being really little and driving past areas in central London and being really like, wow, about yeah. the, like the lights in central London and like the big sort of city life um, and the wealth and the fashion as well. Mm. And um, sometimes meeting some of my, like my dad's clients and stuff and being so like sort of bewildered by what they were wearing because they were obviously wearing like Chanel head to toe <laughs> and stuff. And yeah. And sort of like that space growing up was always, before I studied at CSM mm. and before I sort of branched out of my zone six life, yeah. um, that was always kind of like opulence in a way. Yeah, yeah. And um, obviously after studying at university and, 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 you know, and that, oh, the point that I was trying to make was, be, the other day when mm. I went to uh, the Face magazine sort of headquarters where they have like a big poster of the front cover of this magazine yeah. with me on the cover. So I went to go like obviously take pictures and like, you know, FaceTime my yeah, mom and yeah, be like, yeah, oh, yeah. look at this. I I got quite emotional about it mm. because I think the specific location of where it was around the corner from like Piccadilly Circus, Oxford Street. Yeah. And it was like evening time as well. So, you know, when it when the, when it was coming evening and sort of the city lights are blaring, I just somehow got like a sort of a flashback of a moment of driving past that area, yeah. like growing up. Mm. And I got quite emotional because I was like, I remember being little and driving around here and feeling so like, oh, one day I'd love to, yeah. you know, be able to dress in these clothes and be a part of this world. And like, that was kind of a little slither of it. Mm. Um, so in that way, that's like yeah, sort that's of a recent yeah. moment of like, you know, those two contrasting worlds coming together for me. And so. was there a natural curiosity? Because I guess that you have to gravitate towards that yourself. So was there anything, a particular tipping point for you um, when you were younger that thought, oh, I really want to immerse myself in this world. Mm. And was it, and was that maybe based mm. on your early religious experience of thinking about otherworldliness and then actually coming into contact with something that was otherworldly, but obviously um, here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I guess it was always like, I've always been really determined when it came to my art. Mm -hmm. Maybe not so much in other things, but when it came to like, creating and making it was always like I always tried to push for like my best yeah um so I always knew like I wanted to get to the you know Harvard version of art right university and you know really push for it um so I guess that was like a driving force okay so yeah um, so just moving on from that question, how did your friendship group and social circle change as you transitioned from a preteen to a teenager with artistic ambitions? That's a really good question. I was literally reading that on the train the way here. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is a tricky one, but it's a really interesting one. How did my friendship group change? So I I guess naturally my friendship group deducted because mm. you time-wise you focus a lot on your on your work and what it is you want to do. And, you know, I think you've probably heard this before and people who are creative will completely understand. Sometimes being creative and really immersing yourself in your practice is quite a lonely thing Yeah. because maybe not physically, you could be surrounded by many people, but it's sort of like a thing that is very within yourself. Mm. And it doesn't matter how much you talk about it, how much you express it and work with other people. There will always be like no one else understands this but me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not just creativity. That's like any sort of field where one person is expressing something within themselves. So mm. music and, you know, you name it. Um, so 
yeah, so my friendship group definitely deducted in that way, you know, having less time to do go out and do these things because I want to focus on my work. Yeah. Um, but also I think maturing as well. Uh, so I, I basically now, you know, at 24 years old, going on to 25, I've recently realized that I definitely surround myself with people that I really love and that right. really love me and really support me. Mm. Um, and I find that most of them are people that I've actually known for a long time that maybe we've had, you know, just my friend yesterday I was spending time with, maybe we've had like a couple of years apart that we haven't seen each other, but yeah. you know, we've recently rekindled again and we've known each other since we were like little, you know? So yeah. And, and it's just become more like with friendship quality, definitely over quantity right? because um, yeah, it's a tough industry and it's a tough mm. job. So you want, people around you that are going to support you and vice versa mm. and just picking up on that point because fashion is a very intense industry um and you have to be 100 percent dedicated to it to get anywhere is there a sense of for you that you feel like perhaps you've through pursuing pursuing this career that you've missed out on just like normal life kind of things definitely 100 percent. i de you, you definitely notice that like you know even the simple things like you know, people have got time on the weekend to go elsewhere. People have money to go mm. on a holiday, yeah, yeah. you know, things like that. You know, I realized that I'm like, oh, if I want to take this seriously, I've got to save up money to pay my studio rent. I've got to save up money for that project. And, you know, it's like little things like that. You definitely miss out on, mm. but it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of it's worth it moments. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. realistically, I have been in positions where I found myself not missing out and then feeling FOMO of like, oh, I'd love to be doing this right now, work-wise, yeah. yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so just to sort of, I guess, like uh, sum up this in a, in a way in terms of looking beyond uh, sort of external creative influences, mm. can you remember seeing a film or reading a book or listening to an album as a teenager that made you want to create something for the first time? Mm, as a teenager... Yeah. It's more more as a like young child that I got that. Okay. So I really really loved watching Alice like Disney's Alice in Wonderland, mm -hmm. the nineteen fifties version, and um, things sort of like that, like Disney films and things like that. And I really loved the kind of fantasy style of that. I guess as a teenager, um, what influenced me more was definitely sort of like music and like my friendship group at the time mm. and the kinds of things that we were into. So like I had a group of friends in high school that we kind of, we loved listening to like Lana Del Rey <laughs> right. and we loved sort of dressing up within that like aesthetic, mm. which was really popular at the time. Like, you know, the Tumblr girl aesthetic. Yeah. Um, and that did influence me as like, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to make my own clothes mm -hmm. to be able to style myself differently. And like a funny thing, me and my group of friends were like so known for always having like incorrect uniform. Right. That was like the one thing we got in trouble with because we were just, we were really like into fashion and, you know, makeup and things. And we just didn't want to confine to the Harrow uniform mm. standards. Um, so yeah, that definitely influenced me in that way. There's something quite melancholic about Lana Del Rey's music. So was there something like lyrically that also captured your uh, imagination there as well as visually? Yeah, I, I yeah, I think it's the way that she 
she kind of created this character for herself, didn't mm. she? Yeah. That she kind of dived into this other world where a lot of her songs were stories that we all know she didn't probably go through herself. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of relate to that in a way that like when I create, I, I'm not inventing things out of nowhere there's mm. obviously like a real connection to me and how i feel but i obviously exaggerate that into stories and i mm. exaggerate that into characters and sort of exaggerate myself into a character yeah um to be able to basically illustrate your emotion you know because mm. you feel some type of way about a situation so to illustrate that you will sort of exaggerate in a way that people can understand yeah and I just want to pick up on the fact that you are a Mad Max Fury Road fan and mm -hmm. somebody who is a visualist. <laughs> Could you tell me why you love that movie so much? Because it's one that I personally love as well. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. I love it. it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I love that film because I think it's just such a good like mix between pure just fantasy mm. costume, yeah, yeah, setting design, this sort of otherworldliness, but yet it's still so today and mm. in the real world you know the fact that water is scarce and it's mm. it's almost like it's so futuristic but yet like really you know back in the day as well yeah. and i personally really love that film because and funny enough when i watched it the first time and i googled it i managed to find like a reddit forum that actually agreed with me on this i was like oh okay i'm not crazy yeah. but i watched that film and i got such a, like a spiritual experience from it mm. in terms of the story reminded me so much of like scripture right you know yeah, the yeah. fact that there was this like evil guy that's like taking away water from this like barren land mm. and like there's like mad max is the only one that can save them you know this idea of like sort of jesus being the savior in a, mm. you know in a world where the enemy takes all the water away and how like how like visually that's like something very biblical because you know uh there's a part in the Bible that says Jesus is the living water. Yeah. And that's the one thing missing from that, right. you know, place in the film. So it's just one of my favorite films and costume wise as well, just yeah. spot on. I uh, was only particular costume in that that was your favorite that you can remember. Yeah. From what I'm, I remember, there is this one that's like, I think it's one of the sergeants that wear it on like sort of the evil side. And it's like full of like badges, Right. it's like full of badges and it's like a, I think I have a screenshot of it, but it's like a soldier-like mm. costume full of badges. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Um, and just wrapping up this topic, we've sort of touched on a few times. <coughs> it's a question that's not often asked because science and technology have seemingly superseded religion. So what is your relationship like with God at the moment? Ooh, I love that question. <laughs> what is my relationship like with God at the moment? I think... Oh, big, big question. I'd say at the moment, I'm definitely closer to him than I have been. Mm -hmm. But I feel like anyone who's spiritual and uh, believes in God will agree that anyone who's older and has gone through a lifetime will yeah. agree that every day it just gets more and more. And it's kind of like a friendship. The more time you spend with someone, mm. Uh, the more you get to know them and yeah. the more you closer you get. So in that way, it's kind of like a relationship or a friendship. And I'd say at the moment, it's it's pretty good. Like he's got me out of really difficult times. Mm. And I remember that pretty much every morning. So yeah, it's it's 
it's definitely a good a good one. I'm per- I'm personally going through a moment right now where I'm going through a journey where I really want to marry my personal life, yeah. my relationship with God and my relationship mm. with people and all this with my work, yeah. which has always been there. But I feel like my spirituality had always sort of lacked a little bit with mm. connecting to my artwork. Mm. And there was even a time where I felt like, oh, I'm putting all this effort into doing my artwork and I have this thing like my spiritual life on the side and they don't come together and it's almost like they're conflicting. And that's where I feel like in my final year, I started to understand that there is actually a way to put these two together Mm. and it's not something that you physically have to do, like putting two things together. It's, It's all about living the life and doing the artwork and doing the work. And as you live the life and do the work, naturally it's just gonna come together right so i don't know if you're you're um familiar with the band paramore i am yes but Haley, she's actually a christian Mm -hmm. they don't consider themselves a christian band yeah um but i was watching interview once with her and they were like oh do you don't really make christian music you don't make worship music but you guys are christians why is that and she was like i just make music about my life i Mm -hmm. just write lyrics about my experiences and i happen to be you know of this faith and of Mm. course that's part of my life and my experience so it's just going to end up having that within the music yeah um which i loved because i was like oh i so relate to that and also i think um i think there's this idea of like formal religious sort of worship going to church and then having your own relationship with god which is separate from that which is a much more personal journey that doesn't have to be through more um i guess traditional formal um avenues and also it's say it's also quite difficult to say um that you, you know to say like oh actually i'm a christian and then there's a lot of baggage that comes out especially like now because there's lots of people who identify as christians um who are who potentially can be like uh problematic but that's only through the lens in which they view their version of of god so how do you feel um, this is a bit tangential, but how do you feel just sort of generally about Christianity as a whole? And obviously I understand this is a difficult question to answer, but just just your sort of general sort of like feeling, what do you think? I'm like super aware with the fact that there is baggage mm. that comes with that, which I think it comes with like any sort of mm. belief system, yeah. whether that be religious or political or, you know, anything that is very that there is a side to it where there have been people that have misused that. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, and just in general, people like to, the minute you have like a strong belief for yeah. anything, people yeah, yeah, yeah. want to sort of find the gaps mm. in it, you know, mm. yeah, like totally. a really mature cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people definitely. love it because, yeah. you know, it's like, why is this person so passionate about this one thing? Mm. They want to, you know, dissect it. Mm. Um, so like, I definitely, understand that completely but that's usually why when i usually like meet people for the first time and they like find out that i'm a christian usually from conversation of like oh i'm going church or something yeah, yeah. Like, oh you're a christian i don't know mm. i think it's always funny that people like that's shocking and i was like okay um but because they have obviously this idea of what like a christian person would yeah of course usually look like or something <laughs> but yeah yeah but yeah and i Oh, wait, what was I going with this? Yeah, so I already know that that that's like a sort of pre thing that people think mm. when they meet you. But for me, I always just reply with, you know, I'm 
it's it's about relationship it's not about a stamp like a religion yeah. like yeah, you know yeah. what you sign on the paper when you say like you know your your name your age whatever so um so yeah okay cool so let's move on to topic two which is about creation and education so i've asked this question a few times to my guest but what gave you the confidence to start the journey to becoming a professional designer and artist Ooh, i'd argue that the journey started very recently okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um this journey has started more so at uh, the end of final year mm-hmm. and uh i think wait what was the question again it's just like what gave you the confidence to start you know it's like what gave you the confidence to go like right i want to be a professional um fashion designer and artist because there's lots of people who want to do it but don't they don't have the confidence to go like i'm well, i'm actually going to do this mm. and just see where it goes what gave me the confidence mm. okay cool so definitely the moment that i realized it's okay to fail okay definitely because you know graduating you always feel pressured to possibly oh i need to go and find a job yeah. I need to go and find that job that's going to pay me than, you know, that job at this brand or that brand. And I was like, actually, I don't really want to do that straight away. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with going two or three years and trying out what I really, what it really is in me that I want to do. Yeah. And having the room to fail. Because when you do go for something that's really like a big goal, you have to have room to fail because you know not everything's going to work out all the time there's going to yeah. be different you know there's going to be moments where you're looking at the sat nav and you've ter- accidentally turned a wrong way but the sat nav's going to have to uh change direction for you yeah um so it was the moment that i kind of realized after graduating right i'm very okay with failing and that's the confidence i have right so when i have sort of moments and bad days where i'm like oh this is too difficult like why don't i just you know, go do something easier or maybe I should try something else out. What keeps me going is, you know what, just try it. And if, yeah. it, if it fails, then then you already, you've already got your answer. You know, if you don't try it, the answer's already no. Right, yeah, so, yeah. So um, that in me actually gives me the confidence more mm. than things like getting the front cover of a magazine or things that you would think would necessarily give yeah. you confidence. It's mm. more like, I'm okay with failing and I'm okay with, I, I, I have this thing in me that I, I know somehow it's going to work out. Maybe it's not going to work out exactly the way that I see it, but it's going to work out the way it should be. Right. 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 Um, and can I ask you an unfair question? What was the most recent thing that you failed at? <laughs> the recent thing I fail at the most mm. in general is always being late to everything <laughs> and miss understanding time and right. organization that's like my top always fail thing but recently what have i failed at uh recently um yeah probably the same thing just replying to an email really really late and i right. like, missed the opportunity and i was like oh damn okay okay um so i just want to jump back a little bit to high school so what created <laughs> subjects like art theater and design well respected and supported by the educational system, I guess, like in Harrow specifically. Mm, uh, no, they because weren't. to the point where I, in high school, I had to change 
So most people, you go to high school and you usually go to sixth form in the same high school you go to. Yeah. You know, you want to stay with your friends, etc. But I had to change schools to another sixth form to be able to study textile design because okay. my school didn't have textiles. And I was like, if I want to study fashion or costume, which at the time was like my sort of two, um, I need to do textiles. I need to do a textile thing. Um, so yeah, and and just in general, I think zone six kind of public schools they don't they don't put emphasis on on creative subjects at all it's creative subjects have always sort of been the place where you kind of slack off and catch up on your maths homework (laughs) (laughs) um but the one the one or two kids that really enjoy Mm. it and really want to pursue it um it's good for them because then i guess they flourish in their own spot but interestingly having said that like mostly through high school and sixth form, I flourished a lot because I was one of the one mm. or two that were really interested in like the ratio of people who were, who were interested and not, not interested, you know, the ones who are interested are going to be good yeah, at what yeah. they do. Um, but then you get a shock when you go to university and you see like, wow, there's people from all over the mm. world who are so good at what they do. And, you yeah. know, the competitive competitiveness definitely drives up. Um, and was there a particular teacher, because you said you moved um, six forms to study textiles, was there a particular teacher that was a particular inspiration to you at that point that you can kind of remember? Um, yeah, I had a photography teacher who was really, really, she was French and she yeah. was really strict, um, but she saw a lot of potential in me and um, she, yeah, she pushed me and I think I'm glad to have had her during sixth form yeah um because she also there was something about her i really liked that she wasn't your typical high school sixth form teacher in that mm. you know it was if anyone who's studied art in high, high school would know that it was all about getting the marks even that it was all about oh if you want to get the high grades you need to fill the sketchbook you need yeah. to you know annotate your work you need to know your art history and stuff and she was very much like pushing you to like what do you want to say mm. what does your photos mean mm-hmm. um and the way she taught was more like at a higher level in terms of that's how they sort of teach you with um university level yeah yeah so that really helped me with getting to university oh nice well shout out to all the teachers out there inspiring inspiring um kids and designers and all that sort of stuff because it's a teaching can be very thankless um if you're not in a class if you, i guess like from my understanding if you've got a classroom of noisy snotty kids who don't want to listen to you it's not the most fun experience but mm-hmm. i guess they treasure the ones that actually are receptive to what they're teaching um so just moving on can you remember the first piece of clothing you ever made at school and how did it make you feel yeah i do i remember in primary school we had um this like one week project thing where we could choose (coughs) whatever we wanted to do it on so Mm. we had to study the history of that thing yeah and then make a presentation to show the class and me and my friend shout out to Sonia (laughs) me and my friend Sonia um chose fashion so we did like a little brief powerpoint presentation on like history of fashion or something and we made a top and a skirt like a crop top and skirt combo (laughs) and we didn't have much fabric so I specifically remember cutting up like a pajama trouser and t-shirt from Primark that was funny enough it was now that I remember it was dark purple and like mint teal blue oh wow which is like 
always like the colors that i use yeah and um newspaper as well because mm. we wanted to like embroidery like embroider the top and add like embellishment right so we cut up like little pictures from the news a newspaper mm. and we sewed it on my like tiny sewing machine that didn't even have a pedal you had to like oh, okay. twist the side oh, wow. yeah um and yeah how did it make me feel i loved it i tried it on and i walked around the whole house wearing it <laughs> <laughs> Um, was there a particular inspiration for that garment or was it just straight straight from your imagination? Straight from sustainability, upcycle, what we've got. <laughs> okay. Um, so I understand before you went to higher education, you interned as a junior apparel designer and product photographer. What did you learn from that experience on a day-to-day -day level? <coughs> oh, yeah, that experience. I actually learned more from it that is less on the creative side mm -hmm. and more on it was the first time I sort of traveled into central London for work right kind of thing um so I learned a lot about how to use TFL <laughs> and you know getting up on time and going yeah. there and how to talk to people as well mm. I remember doing like a presentation of my designs to like a board which oh, at wow, the time yeah. felt really scary but now in hindsight I remember it was just the people in the like studios next door right. that he got like other people to just come and be like a panel mm. so I could practice talking about my work which is actually really sweet shout out to Kofi mm. um who organized that um so yeah it was a great experience for that reason and I guess that's important it's something that's often overlooked like fashion is a very social and commutative business as much as it's about the sort of physically designing sort of stuff you also have to be able to relay and communicate your ideas to people so that's very important and often often overlooked um, so going back to 2017, you applied and accepted a place on the Foundation Diploma Art and Design Fashion and Textiles course at Central St. Martins in London. So why was it important for you to study there? Um, it was important for me to study there. I felt on the open day, I felt like a real connection with the building. Mm. Like I just loved how... I don't know if you've ever been to Central St. Martin's. Oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah, so you know how the windows are, like, mm. open and you can see other people working while you're working? Yeah. Um, that, I instantly was like, oh, I need to study here. Um, and, yeah, on the open day, seeing all, like, the students walking around that obviously studied there and how they loved to, like, express themselves through dress and stuff. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is definitely... A place that I want to work but um well, I want to I want to study at but um interestingly on this topic I actually <coughs> got a place at foundation year yeah um and because of my disorganization going back to like the always being late never applying to emails thing mm. in me um I actually lost my place at CSM. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, when you get accepted onto like university and you've got like 21 days to reply yeah. that you are interested in going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, I didn't reply to it because oh I gosh. didn't read the email properly. I didn't read yeah. the small print at the bottom. Wow. I just got distracted at the time and I, yeah. I got excited about getting accepted and I don't know what happened, but like yeah. I didn't reply to the email. So it was interesting because like, someone that I was friends with at the time had got into um, another UAL course mm. and they were like, oh, did you get like your email yet saying like your induction day is this day, whatever. 
And I was like, no, I haven't got anything. He was like, oh, you need to like check your junk. I was yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I haven't got anything. You need to call them up because, mm. you know, you don't want to miss your first day. Mm. So I rang them up and obviously I told them like who I was and they were like, oh, I'm sorry. Like we've said, it says here that you're not on the course. And, and cause you know, you didn't get back to us. Yeah. And I was like, what? No way. And I, I kind of told her on the phone. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I've misread the email i forgot to reply mm. and she was like okay like if and then we you know we organized the day for me to come in and and to talk to her yeah. she's a really lovely na- lady renata and um funny enough she t- i don't know if she said this just to make me feel better because you could see the like horror in my yeah, face yeah, yeah. or this actually happened to her but she said this happened this a similar thing happened to me oh wow okay yeah. and I, and she said you know in the end she was like well next year we'll give you a place Mm. um at the course next year and you don't need to reapply yeah so you'll definitely you'll definitely have a place next year but at the moment Mm. it's full Mm. um so and yeah i ended up taking like unwantingly a gap year yeah which actually was really good because Mm. i've worked i earned some money and i've really got myself like prepared for it as well Mm. um but yeah that's crazy that's actually crazy (laughs) that's so crazy um and we did speak briefly just before the interview about um i guess central st martin's most famous um student who went there uh, i guess alexander mcqueen was that a sort of factor in you going there as well did you know much about him at all like growing up i guess oh yeah for sure definitely like i remember my textiles teacher like loved his work and she would always get us to like copy mcqueen's samples and things Mm. um and yeah, definitely him going to that school and was 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 a factor of like, you know, this is definitely a good school because a lot of great designers have come out from it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I just kind of want to jump into your um, collection, uh, Strength and Weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're <laughs> going to sort of jump forward now to 2022 in the final year of your Bachelor <coughs> of Arts foundation design degree and it's time for you to start in your final collection so how did you decide on the theme materials that you wanted to work on or work with i should say at that time so i it started with wanting to bring forth what i learned in my placement year and what i got out from that year which i did like a small sort of um placement with my aunt i call her my aunt and she's mm-hmm. sort of like an extended family friend who does doll painting it's called yeah. reborning mm-hmm. so i learned the craft with her originally it was because i was planning on going into prosthetics right. as a way to sort of create characters with fashion yeah so i wanted to learn the painting skills so i could create my own prosthetics but within that experience and that placement i actually really fell in love with the dolls and the babies themselves and i was like how these objects convey emotion Mm -hmm. um so at that point i just knew i needed to have a baby somewhere in my collection (laughs) and i didn't know at all what my collection was going to be or the strength and weakness or anything and it, it actually started off with a character where she holds this baby almost like a a bag you know like baggage um Mm. as an accessory and what that meant Mm. for me emotionally Mm -hmm. um and and from that 
this kind of story started to build up sort mm. of inspired by how I was feeling at the time mm. as well 2020 was quite a difficult year for me for everyone yeah yeah for course. obvious reasons um but more so towards the end of 2020 it was quite a difficult year for me and I was really not sure how going back to studying and and that sort of like lifestyle again um if I was feeling ready for it. So at the time yeah. I was feeling very weak and very vulnerable. Right. Um, and, but at the same time as feeling weak in my physical life, in my spiritual life, mm -hmm. I was feeling very, I was feeling like I was getting stronger, mm. you know, the same way you'd go to the gym and you pick up the weights and you're like, Oh gosh, you makes you realize how weak you really yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you're running and you're like, Oh, I'm out of breath. But really in that weakness, you're finding you're, you're, you're building muscle. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, and at the time that's how I was feeling. And so I was like desperate to build this character and these like series of characters based on, um, strength and weakness, which is also one of my favorite Bible verses, which at right. the time I was like meditating on. Okay. Yeah. Um, just sort of jump into a little bit briefly. What is reborning and that whole like life, like doll painting thing? What is that? What is that whole world about? <laughs> just so people have some idea. Because I was like, well, okay, this is interesting, but I don't I've never heard of it before. So, from what I like, I've researched, it started off with Russian artists that were really, really wanting to create the most realistic baby dolls they could. Okay, and then that sort of started seeping into like craft sides of things, crafting, and um, people who were interested in doing things as like a pastime yeah and um and now it's become like a community which is especially popular in america okay and some parts in brazil mm. and uh even some parts of the uk but it's more sort of like the north of the uk yeah less so london uh where people like paint dolls swap dolls sell dolls wow you know borrow dolls to like set them up and take photos mm. and it's like there's like a whole community surrounding it yeah, yeah. um but something i found interesting from that was um how it's you it can be used as tools for um well-being so a lot okay. of children and young adults with um mental health issues or um that uh learning difficulties they yeah. they love the dolls as like a sense of comfort oh wow okay yeah so you know it's like sort of like a toy but also yeah like a, a piece of comfort for them so yeah. i thought that's really interesting that's really interesting um so just moving on to my next question and kind of you touched on it briefly just in that last answer but what was the hardest part for you physically and emotionally when creating the strength and weakness collection and i don't know if this this is something that i kind of took away from it because essentially you've got the three characters which is the mother the father's heart and the inner child, which to me seem to be broken up to the id, ego and super ego. That's the, my Freudian take on it. And I just mm. wondered if that's something sort of played into it. What, to explain the Freudian uh, okay. concept. I, I will do, I do my best. So basically <laughs> our, um, our pathology, our psychology, <coughs> the things that motivate us are id, which is our primal desires, um, basis, like my animalistic desires. Mm. Then you've got the ego, and I'm, I might get this wrong, but the ego is just the, it's just your sense of self, I guess, like what your, you know, egoism, like your your wants, your desires, the things you feel you should have and how people reflect on you. And then the super ego is essentially your morality of like between good and bad. So that's the thing that sort of 
uh, is the thing that sort of sits between your primal urges and then your ego, which is your conscious wants and desires, and then deciding whether those things are good or bad, depending on how uh, how well adjusted you are. Let's just uh, put it that put it that way. Okay, and then you got those three from the three characters. So who's what? Well, I just thought the way they were d- divided up, I guess, because you've got like, the mother, which is the nurturer, then you've got like the father that is the um, provider, and then mm. you've got like the child, which you essentially you could say is the id, because like with child, child, children, very young children, um, they just want warm uh, comfort, like food, that 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 kind of thing you know that's what they're sort of based around um, and also there's a necessity to provide comfort to a child because they're very likely to die if they don't if they don't get that they can't yeah. be left by themselves they're the fragilist one yeah the exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly i love that you said that the father was the provider because mm. that's exactly sort of where i was going with in in a way that like his character was the only one that was kind of the spiritual character mm. like the two sort of spirit spiritual characters in the collection was the father and uh the doll mm-hmm. so and then the other two were the same it's actually the same girl but right. in two different states okay so when she's a child and when she's a mother yeah um or the adult child and the mother yeah yeah you yeah. know and um yeah what was the question you were going for? well uh, and also, just I just sort of interject quickly. Could you just describe? Because um, <laughs> obviously, a podcast is a very uh, <laughs> is a very sort of visual like format. But is it possible to just give a brief um, description of the of the mother, the father, and the inner child, so people who are listening might have an idea of what they kind of look like? Yeah, sure. So the mother was the first look, which um, consists of a plexiglass belly with a reborn neonatal doll inside uh she's got a pink uh top crop top and uh like a teal blue ballerina uh what they call tutu like skirt Mm -hmm. um with uh, lace-up ballerina shoes and the father's heart is like a full uh neck down to foot suit that is um different shades of blue teal and purple uh with a heart sculpture in the middle and white filled vein liquid filled through uh plastic tubes that represent the veins and uh the inner child look is a small child's torso (laughs) i get that that sounds quite funny small child's torso in um like almost like a flower like structure that surrounds it yeah. um in ombre blue at uh, purple and pink tones yeah. and this character also holds like an oversized uh reborn doll mm-hmm. with a, uh, a little blue suit on mm. <laughs> um Okay, so just, okay, thank you for explaining that. So now we have a good idea of uh, what the collection Strength and Weakness is about. So just going back to that initial sort of question, <coughs> is like in terms of those, I guess like the question is in terms of those three characters, what were the things, I guess, like emotions, stories that you were exploring through that? And was that a bifurcation of what you were kind of going through at the time, if that makes sense? Mm. Th- th- at the time, I came up with quite few different characters yeah. within this sort of world. Um, but in the end, we were going to just show three. So I wanted to show um, sort of three of the strongest, but also mm. 
there was something about the family trio to me that really like stuck. So yeah. when I was figuring out oh, what are the three that I'm going to show, what are the three that I'm going to make, um, I remember putting in toast at the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. I remember putting in toast at the time. I was, I was like, oh, really like, scratching my head for it. And then when the toast like popped up, I was like, it's a family. Mm. That's the point. Right. And that's kind of got that like traditional family structure. It's mum, father, child. Yeah. Um, and how these three are like really different, but all this, at the same time come together to make mm. a unit, like you said, sort of yeah. like the father's the provider mm. emotionally. He is mm. the heart. He is literally the center of the three, but also the center of the world, of this yeah. mini world. Um, the mother is like at this point where she's like almost giving birth, mm -hmm. you know, she's a point of like maturity. She's almost kind of had to mature, you know, yeah. putting it on my friend who's quite young as well. Like I purposely wanted to use like someone of the same age as me okay, right. to show that she's like, she's like a young mother mm. and she's sort of going through this like process where she's having to feel vulnerable mm -hmm. for obviously physically with the the changes that a, fem a female's body goes through yeah um but also emotionally uh but also having to find strength within that mm -hmm. the same way a ballet dancer does so visually how a, a ballerina she dances very lightly yeah. and she's very soft on her feet uh but really there's an inner core strength in her that you don't see mm -hmm. but it's which is her like intense muscle that yeah. she needs to be able to hold herself on that really fragile moment, which is on your tiptoes. Like how more fragile can you be than standing on your tiptoes? You yeah, know? yeah. Um, so that's why she's kind of like the mother ballerina. Interesting, yeah. Um, and 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 yeah, and the inner child is sort of a moment before she becomes the mother, where she's an adult and that was I specifically also put it on an adult and not a child because it was like this illusion between an adult wearing a child's body uh, but also carrying them their own childhood baggage yeah and how carrying your childhood baggage keeps you in that childlike mentality mm -hmm. um and this kind of visually this illustration of the push and pull between being like uh, a teenager where you're almost an adult but you are still a child yeah and that like maturing process through that and it's almost like by her becoming a mother in a way yeah she's had to sort of mature mm -hmm. um and that's where sort of the father's heart comes into play because he's not a real character so within the story she's a sing uh the mother look she's a single mother yeah um who you know it's not really important who the father is. Right. Um, and so when that child will be born and grows up and asks mum, who's dad, you know, she kind of creates this spiritual character who is the father's heart, where she's, he's this incredible mm. father who's always loving and is always there and has always been there. And this child will grow up with 50% of him in them yeah, yeah, as a yeah. way to give her the child hope. Mm. And um, so this father character, although he's not real, he has quote unquote impregnated her in a way yeah. where it's more emotional. She's had to become mature and become a mother mm. through her relationship with the father's heart. Right. Do you see what yeah, I mean? I, I guess, yeah, I understand yeah. what you're saying. Um, so I guess like from a more practical sort of standpoint, um, 
how do you go about like in terms of can you just walk me through like the the steps obviously not all of them because we <laughs> we've only got a sound <laughs> out of time but in terms of like how do you as a designer um just start something like that what's the first thing in terms of creating mother what was the first thing you started with in terms of like the the clothes or whatever it was you know what i see i can't seem to pinpoint you you mean specifically with a mother isn't it yeah yeah because that's i guess that's the thing that because it's on the magazine cover that's the thing that most people are going to gravitate towards so i was just thinking like how because i imagine like because you've created a very arresting a visual um that's resonated with people but it's always interesting to know like uh, maybe it was like doing like the the ballet shoes first or something like that or the tights I, I i don't know i mean it's i just wonder if there was a particular starting point for you there you know i can't remember to pinpoint exactly when i thought of the idea for the belly mm. and i was actually trying to think of this the other day i was like when was it but actually it was i think it started more when i was looking at the ballerina like you said the shoes yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was right i was actually looking at the ballerina first right um, and originally I think it was going to be a ballerina, like holding the baby. Yeah. Um, and then I think I saw this photo of this Brazilian ballerina, Ingrid Silva, yeah. uh, on the cover of Vogue yeah. from like a March issue in 2019, I think, or 2020. Mm. And she's like, um, naked with mm. just her belly right. and her like ballerina shoes. Yeah. And um, I was just like, so in love with that picture. And I was like, oh, there's just something so fragile about a ballerina mother. Like, yeah. how can you be more sort of quote unquote weak than mm. that? Mm. And I was like, oh, I think that was it. And then I think somehow I was like, oh, if I'm going to make a belly, I might as well make the baby and you can see inside. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then it started to come together. And then when you kind of took away the conceptual side of it yeah. and you're thinking about, right, this is going to be a visual thing. This is going to be fashion. Yeah. It's going to be really cool to be able to see this like baby, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, in like resin. Mm. Uh, so I think it kind of, it started with there, but like the process of making it, it always starts with the concept and the story. Yeah. Cause that's where the ideas come from. You mm. know, I never, ever come up with clothes. I'm not really a person that's like, right. It needs to be a jacket cause it's going to be raining outside. Okay. Right, I'm more right. like, right. It needs to be the skirt because it's going to represent this yeah. of the story, this of the character. Um, it needs to move in this way to represent right. how, you know, the wind is blowing at mm. that moment. Um, so yeah, it started, it did start with the shoes and then sort of with the be belly and she's pregnant. And then mm. all the other things kind of came about more with, right, what's going to support the main elements of this look mm. and what are the colors as well? Like yeah. the colors always really mean something to me because, you know, color theory is really important to visually express emotion. Yeah. Um, and then in the end, final touches like makeup, hair, position, mm. uh, when you think about the photo shoot or the video, um, all of that sort of kind of is the little cherry on top. Right. Um, I guess like from a practical standpoint, uh, standpoint, so when you're like creating like the, like the jacket that goes on, I think she's wearing it because I, because there's two different versions. So I don't know if I'm referencing the face one, which was sort of styled or the original one. There wasn't a jacket. There was, I'm trying to think there was a jacket. Wasn't there? The, the jacket yeah. was in the face, is in the face, yes. how they styled it. And then originally she, no, it's just a top. Okay. So how did you, what was the first thing when you were like, oh, I need to make this top for people who don't know how to make tops just very briefly. How do you go about doing that? 
Um, so I started with a block yeah. that my pattern cutting tutor gave me, Esme, <laughs> Esme Young. She, yeah, so I started with a block and then I created sort of a larger version mm. of what I knew my friend size was. Yeah. And then I went round her house. I remember it was really, really late. <laughs> it was the only time we had. I went round her house and I um, sort of fitted it to her bust and her body. Yeah. Pinned sort of took this like crazy pinned monster back to my studio the next right. day, um, uh, cut it apart, completely take it apart yeah. and retrace it and create uh, a new top mm. from her measurements. Yeah. Um, and then from that, I usually, I always make fabric that is plain white. I mm. never really, it's kind of boring. I never really go fabric shopping. <laughs> I'm always using plain white fabric and mm. usually something which I can paint on top of Okay. Um, with like heat press inks. So what I'll use is I'll use, take my white fabric, cut out the pieces like a cookie cutter yeah. and uh, individually paint each piece. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to kind of use your creativity in a way that you need to imagine what, when you're painting, how is this piece going to come together in a 3D way? Um, so you need to sort of put the pieces down like a puzzle yeah. and paint it like a canvas with them all like that and imagine how it comes out when you sew uh, which has actually been a challenge and I've gotten better with practice but you don't realize how much that when you actually put it together it looks completely different as it does flat yeah but that's basically how my clothes are made interesting and then I guess because I was talking to another designer uh, recently um <coughs> traditionally like fashion is like flat well, it was traditionally, but now you've got like Blender where you can render things in sort of 3D and there is that sort of thing of like you see it flat and then you put it on a human body and it just takes on this whole different... I equate to like clothes to being like human architecture. They're the sort of um, facades that we kind of wear with the sort of steel and like concrete and these <laughs> things sort of like hang off, which is quite um, fun. So I just want to pick up on um, a question following on from that. Um, so I read the interview you did with... Uh, TJ Sidhu from The Face magazine mm -hmm. and they asked you about women's reproductive rights in America specifically the Roe v Wade case in relation to your work and I just wondered do you feel there's a pressure to, to become more politically outspoken with your work? Um, actually I don't mm -hmm. because I've never been a politically driven like artist I really do respect people who are politically driven in their work and um, want to really create like physical change yeah. within it. Um, but I like to think that I kind of just want to do whatever's in me, yeah. you know? So whatever's in me is, I've kind of found out what that is more recently, which is storytelling, Yeah, you know, storytelling and to capture someone's, a viewer's attention and capture their emotion and relate to like inner deeper things mm. within them yeah. um so i don't think my work would be politically driven however i do think that um what's the word for it i'm not political but i'm definitely more what's the word when you really um are interested in society and how people reinteract oh, with each other like it's the uh, not an the anthropology i guess <laughs> yeah or something that starts yeah. with a t as well i can't um, remember now yeah it's escaping me at the moment but um I know, I know what you mean. Like Along it's that lines, because yeah. there's political studies and then yeah. there's that. Yeah, like social studies, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Or wherever, wherever the name uh, for it is. 
Um, but th- yeah, I'd yeah. like to think that my work is more driven in that way. Like right. I would love to kind of dive a bit more into like social studies mm. and um, make social commentaries, but which kind of relate to political as well. Yeah. I think everything relates to political, but I think specifically political standpoint, it's just too black and white for me. You know, yeah, yeah. I like ambiguity. Mm. So... No, I don't think I'm political in that way. And also I think as an artist, especially now, it's like, it can be very distracting from the work. And I was thinking, I was watching a Vivian Westwood documentary and she did the very famous Johnny Rotten t-shirt, which had an inverted crucifix and then a um, swastika that was dyed like pink. And it was very shocking at the time. And now that's (laughs) in the Victoria Albert Museum as one of the most prized items. But at the time, you know, essentially... um, they were going after with this person with particular pitchforks and stuff. And this was the most abhorrent thing that anybody had ever sort of like produced. And it was, it was a scandal. And then, you know, through perspective of 50 years or so, like now 40 years, whatever it is, these are now become sort of treasured items. It's very easy in the present to get caught up with what's going on politically. Um, and yeah, and people forming a, an emotion to that, that just tracks from the work because later 40 years with hindsight, whatever it is, it will be viewed in a different like light. So I think I'm mindful, especially with my particular platform, not to, to get caught up in sort of politics because essentially it's the creativity that's important. It's the drive and how people choose to ju- judge that is, is up to them, essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can understand why people mm. make work that's like all about the here and now yeah. because that's essentially what people want to hear and that's what yeah. will get people's attention. But I, I like to think about what are the things that have been here since the dawn of time yeah. and will forever be here. Because mm. that's interesting because that's that's a topic that everyone can listen to. Yeah, yeah. Everyone can get involved in. I think sometimes politics, is, there, are cert- there are certain people out there that just don't get it mm. or just you know, I never want to make work that can't be understood by everyone of all classes, of Mm. all backgrounds. That's why I think I really was drawn to the babies Mm. and to like family like topics. And because, and you know, the baby in the belly thing, that was not at all politically driven, but really it was just to illustrate a time and a place that I mean, obviously it was to do with the characters, how I was feeling and everything, but later on, yeah. when you start seeing your view your view art, artwork in a way that you've took a step back and you see it as like, what yeah. other people are reacting, mm. I'm like, actually, it's actually to view a time and a place where we've all been, mm. we've all been there and we're all going to be there. Everyone yeah, yeah. who's alive has been there. Mm. And, you know, so in that place it's kind of an art it's an artwork that even children can understand yeah, and yeah. the oldest person in the room can understand and anyone from any background you mm. don't need to you know know a language to understand that visual thing i think yeah. that's called kind of a goal that i'd love to keep mm. going for um whereas if you do things that are like maybe more politically driven or something like that like you kind of you can miss out on people who don't get it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, I guess it speaks to a more universal experience. Yeah. Um, so finally, just on this uh, topic on the strength and weakness, um, so your final collection and that particular piece in particular, Mother, has received a lot of uh, attention from major media outlets like Face Magazine, Vogue and Corvell. So how have you handled that mentally, having so much attention put on that particular piece? Um, 
I I love it. I love mm. it so much because it's every opportunity I can to, you know, yeah. to talk about it. And um, it's great to see people's reactions, even like negative reactions as well. It's yeah. interesting to see how people feel about something that's so universal mm-hmm. and that like everyone, you know, goes through it and everyone knows about it. Um, but also how did I handle the situation? I think it's good because it's been building my confidence. Yeah. Um, it's been giving me opportunities not to fail (laughs) Um, where I'm like, okay, I can do this. And um, yeah, it's good because it's, yeah, I'm just learning with the process. And um, I don't think it's giving me attention to the point where I'm like changing as a person or anything, uh, which is good. Uh, But yeah, it's just bringing more opportunities, which Mm. I'm really, really chuffed about. And I hope more, come you know okay brilliant so just moving on to topic four which is industry thoughts so these are just some like real like hot takes just some some spicy (laughs) some spicy takes if you've got them um, (laughs) on these particular uh, issues um so i want to throw out the first question which is what did you think about balenciaga's um I think it's, I think SS23, I'm not sure how you pronounce that in fashion parlance. The recent. Yeah. So it's the Mud Show, um, (laughs) which which was in Paris, um, which featured Yi, formerly known as Kanye West, in a, some sort of like military blocky outfit. And he was plodding on his welly boots and he said some very unsavory remarks uh, recently. So I just wondered if you've got any thoughts or feelings. And now I now say this and now I wonder that we're now dangerously veering into like uh, political um, territory. So, uh, yeah, um, whatever you kind of sort of thoughts and feelings on that. No, cool. I didn't know he was formerly known as Kanye West. Is he doing like a Prince thing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. He's legally changed his name to Ye for some reason. Yeah, that's that's his name now. Oh, wow. Um, about Balenciaga, I mm. mean, I don't know if you realise this. Did you watch the show? Did you... Pay so attention I've to seen, so I've seen, I've seen Kanye West stomping on his little booties mm. around the mud track, and then the other artists, oh, sorry, the other models in the clothes going round. But I didn't watch the whole. I think it's like an hour or so show. I caught yeah. glimpses. I don't know if you realise, but mm. like I think three or four of the models are holding a reborn baby. I don't know. Right. If, I don't know if you clocked that. I, I that's the thing because I know you posted about that and mm-hmm. that they'd used reborn, and I know there would be. I saw a little bit back and forth on Instagram about it but again. Like, yeah, if we could pick up on that, if there's something you want to sort of mention or say, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, these things are also always really tricky because mm. it's like, how do you prove when? someone has taken an idea yeah you know what i mean but i I think most people who are creative out there who have had their idea like taken or magpied Mm. in some way yeah um not even necessarily from like a big organization but like anything yeah like they will agree that as the first person to do that or the, the creator of that you just know in your gut when someone's like nicked it yeah yeah um so I had like, when I first saw that, I had quite a strong feeling. I was like, oh, someone mm. on the Balenciaga teams watched the CSM show. I yeah. mean- Well, they probably would have been there to be fair, wouldn't they? There yeah. was a, it was a famous audience, I guess. Yeah, and it's no mm. secret that the Balenciaga team literally like only hires from CSM. Yeah. Or only hires from like top schools. Yeah, To yeah. the point that I remember during placement year when um, Balenciaga sent out an email specifically to mm. only have placements from CSM. Right. So they definitely have a connection to the school. Like yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be, I'm not taking this out of nowhere, you know? Yeah, yeah, of and course. And like the TikTok that was posted of um, my work 
went quite viral. So mm. I think, you know, it there is a big chance that someone on the team mm. might have seen it and, you know, mentioned a thing or two. Maybe they didn't specifically take it and say, right, we need to do this. Yeah. But somehow in within the system, my work was seen. Yeah. Because I, it's, it's not a coincidence that literally the season after our yeah. show was released mm. you know balenciaga wanted to jump on like let's have like a reborn doll on the catwalk yeah, yeah, i've yeah. never seen that done before mm. and you know and i i know that it's never been done before because when i came up with the idea i originally like googled it and did a lot of research because i wanted to see if anyone's ever done that yeah for just for inspiration or mm. like has this been done before kind of thing mm. um so having said that what did i think about it i think i think it goes back to what we were saying about like making work that's universal and that is about things that's happened at the beginning of time to the end of time yeah. and ma versus making work that's very current or very mm. political because like for me Balenciaga, Kanye West or Yee, Yee's, yeah. <laughs> sorry, <Yeah. laughs> like they are very current, mm. they are political, they are mm. very now, they are the like it's here today, it's gone tomorrow yeah. and so you know this mud show and them using the dolls part of me feels like really excited for their next collection because mm. i can't wait till the next thing comes out because then they're not using my stuff anymore right right yeah you yeah. know because for them it's going to be it's cool now mm. and then the next season something else is going to be cool so they're going to jump on that trend so yeah. just let them keep doing their you mm. know it's here and now it's politically driven it's you know and let me keep doing my right yeah <laughs> thing so yeah yeah yeah. Um, okay, so Kanye West is a very problematic individual. There's no way around that. He is an insufferable human being. Um, I did watch an interview before this to get a bit of background. But one of the things that sort of strikes me and one of the things I think that he draws a light to um, is the fact that artists who we just spoke about within the fashion industry do get ripped off, do, do get stolen from. Um, and, it's, uh, and I guess like if you're a young a person coming up in the fashion industry, you're going to work very long hours for not like a lot of money. And essentially he's shining on like the broken, I guess like the brokenness of some parts of the fashion industry, high fashion industry. It's not an industry I work in, obviously. So I don't know the ins and outs of how accurate this information is, but is that something that you think about that plays on your mind as somebody who's going to forge a career through, through that particular industry? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely more recently with like, rise of social media like you always see young designers young artists getting ripped off mm. you know it's just kind of a known thing it's kind of sad that yeah. you think that like oh it's just gonna it's inevitable it's bound to happen kind of thing yeah you know just because it's bound to happen doesn't mean it's necessarily right yeah, yeah. you know i was talking to a lot of friends about the balenciaga thing just to get a few different like opinions and things and you know, in the end, we always go back to, well, it's just going to happen. What do we expect? Mm. We, you know, it's a, you put something on TikTok, on Instagram, you, it's a big, it was a big press show. A lot of people mm. saw it. So it's bound to inspire someone. Yeah. Um, but having said that, I think that's the difference between someone who's wanting to be an artist. Yeah and someone who's wanting to work in the industry because mm. the way that i've seen so far and from I've heard from friends and things that the industry there's a lot of like it's not about creativity so to say 
that you're creating something out of nothing. Yeah. It's all about trend forecasting. It's about what's the next big thing. How can we make money out of it? Yeah. You know, uh, how can we stay relevant? Mm. Um, and even that to a certain extent, it's all about being, it's, there's a lot of greenwashing. There's a lot of political washing in that yeah, as well. Yeah, I think yeah. that's why I stay away from it because mm. I'm like, that's, uh, that's not really my end goal. Yeah. Like that's why I, I see myself more as an artist than a designer because, right. um, or a fashion industry designer, because I want to create something out of nothing. And yeah. I want to have like a uh, kind of, uh what's the word a viewpoint that's just you know mine right and i'm not too interested in what people want to hear yeah yeah of course you know um so that leads nicely on to my next question what do you think the future of luxury fashion looks like as the world faces economic and environmental collapse Ooh, the fashion of the future of fashion or luxury lu luxury fashion in, in particular luxury fashion yeah um i hope it's going more down a sustainable route mm. and people are thinking more, do I really need this many clothes and this many things? Yeah. Um, but I think, I hope luxury is going more, yeah, down that route and, and that people are going to be doing more sort of, you know, back, back then, back in like fifties and stuff, it, it used to be more made to measure. Yeah. Yeah. You'd make a dress for an event and you'd, you'd keep that dress and it's yours kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. So you'd feel less about selling it on or throwing it away. Mm. Um, I'd hope it'd go down that route a bit mm. more. And we are sort of slowly going into caring more about craft of clothes yeah. in an age where like Sheehan is burning the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like quick, you know, four pound crop tops aren't doing it anymore for us. Um, yeah. However, when you say luxury, mm. I do, I, I don't know why I just randomly got the picture of like, you know, in what's that film? The Hunger Games. Yeah. You've got that like team of like yeah. people wearing like the crazy yeah, luxury. Yeah, yeah. I, I somehow feel like that's unfortunately going to be the future. It's mm. still going to have that hierarchy, but maybe even more so. Yeah. Where um, it's all about opulence and more is more. Yeah, and it strikes to me like I, I mean I love fashion I love the the visual uh, component of it and I love that it's an escape into a dream world um, but it just seems the escape to the dream world is sort of especially like now like the way that especially like right, like right now politically and economically the world is like like crumbling so it seems like such a luxury that we can just you know, that, that luxury fashion in particular is just a pure form of escapism where I think it's going to have to recognize it's going to have to like do more, be more and, and be better in order to, in order to sort of justify its existence. If so many people are suffering um, and, and as much as I love watching fashion shows and I, I, I love, I, like I love all the creativity and I love that sort of dreaminess. But on the other hand, if it doesn't have any relation to the, like what the, I guess like the 99% of the population are sort of struggling or facing with it, it see, it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be serving its purpose in the sense of like, escapism i guess in a way it just seems maybe it's just um frivolous yeah yeah it's like warp yeah exactly frivolous is what i would say yeah 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 exactly yeah that's that's an interesting point i feel like clothes have always been seen as like or fashion have mm. always been seen as frivolous and unnecessary but if you think about it clothes is kind of almost maybe not so much on the same level but it kind of goes within the same you know box as food yeah, it's a necessity yeah, it we is. all need to clothe mm. ourselves and we all need to eat but you know food we could survive on like 
vegetables, rice, mm. a bit of protein. You know, we've got some mm. other those things that we really need, but we yeah. really want a chocolate cake. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we really want ice cream yeah. sometimes, and it's kind of like fashion's kind of like that. Like yeah. we all have clothes that we need to wear, mm. but we want mm. something you know sugary to wear yeah. once in a while we want to feel good about our bodies and how mm. we look and so that will always kind of be around mm. as long as humans are like visually and you know stimulating wanting to stimulate all of their senses fashion will always be around the same yeah. way chocolate cake will but um i do agree with you that you know sometimes enough is enough mm. you know if you're going through a crisis where everyone's obese and really unhealthy you need to push more we mm. need to push more healthy eating for, mm. for our better. And if fashion is doing the same thing, mm. it's like, you know, rotting our environment, rotting our communities. Yeah. We need to cut down on it. Yeah. You know, it can still exist. I think it mm. should still exist for a happy life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, even people who aren't interested in fashion, they know that clothes, even someone who wears, you know, black every single day yeah. they want their nice black jacket mm. their nice black trousers yeah. so that in a way is fashion you know yeah, yeah. fashion isn't just the avant-garde you know things that we see on the front cover of a magazine mm. um so everyone in a way is affected by fashion yeah and will buy clothes and it is in that system that is mm. rotting our world so um it's it's up to us to all work together to like cut down on it. I think we've mm. come to a point now. Like I'm glad, thank God, we've got to a point now where we've realised it's too much now. Yeah, yeah. too much sugar. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's a, I guess that's the thing as well because I do I do love that sugar myself. I do love fashion. I do love the aesthetics and just like the, the maximalist nature of it. Um, but as you say, yeah, too much sugar is is, is bad. Um, so um, the next question is. If you could change one thing about the mainstream fashion industry, what would it be and why? Mm. I feel like some someone might not like my answer because you want to say something like, if I could change it, you know, I would completely change factory conditions and yeah, this, yeah. this and that. Like, um, But I think something that could actually change it from the core, mm. I think we need to change our attitudes. Like, I think the fashion industry is a cruel industry like it kind of is and I, I like to think that it is also a happy well it is you know i've you know studied at university for four or five years i've been in that sort of a pocket of that industry yeah. like it is really joyful and it is community-based and it is like amazing being around loads of creative people and we're all doing something really cool mm. um but there is a side to it that it's very it is like quite a cruel industry as well and yeah. there is a lot of hierarchy and there's a lot of stepping on other people's toes to get places yeah um so in that way it's very similar to like the fame industry yeah and i think for change to happen if i if i could change something um i would want to i wish i could change some people's hearts towards <laughs> it yeah, you know yeah, yeah, like yeah. exactly is it really about the money is it really about the fame is it really about getting ahead mm. of the person next to you you yeah. know i think that could make a huge difference because really if you're changing someone's like attitude and heart towards things you're changing the same people who care so, like you know the she i'm talking about Sheen because i literally <laughs> watched the documentary yesterday about okay, it yeah, yeah. and like the guys who you know are running the factories and mm. just are doing it for business and money and really mistreating people. Yeah. 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 Um, it is. Yeah. Like that is a very shocking, 
I mean, I haven't seen the documentary, but I, I'm aware of Sheehan and it's, yeah, it's not good. Um, okay. So as a young international creative, I said international because I actually thought you came from Sao Paulo, but you're, you're international, uh, <laughs> um, hit with yet another financial crisis. Um, are you optimistic about staying in the UK? Obviously you live in the UK, so it doesn't really apply. Um, but pursuing a career in the art and design industry. Um, am I still optimistic about pursuing career in the art? Yeah, yeah, oh. in a roundabout way. Because, yeah, because we're on our fifth prime minister now and he's just said that there's going to be very hard economic decisions he's going to have to make. And the first things that get cut is the arts industry. Cause, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess it goes back to my same point that people can see art as frivolous and in some uh, in some aspects it is but in others it's very important you know it's a poor uh, it's a form of communication it nourishes community it's a form of self-expression um it makes it's people a visual language that yeah. everyone can understand exactly yeah um so yeah i just wanted to reiterate that point to, if anybody thought i had a particular uh problem with uh, frivolousness or like or thinking that, that that sort of stuff was a, an issue for me but um yeah. So what do you think and the outlook for you in, cause as you say, you're a young woman, you're, you're 24, turning 25 soon looking out into the world. What do you think? What do you feel about the state of the industry and where potentially you think you might sort of end up within it? Um, I think I kind of stay, stick to what I said earlier, which like I'm willing to fail. Yeah. So I'm, you know, another brick in the road is not, you know, okay. gonna hopefully not gonna trip me up, you know. Yeah. But um but yeah, I do I, I think yeah, I think I definitely see myself putting in more hard work. Yeah. And and understanding that it's it's tough times. Um and who knows, maybe that will influence like the work in some way. Yeah. Maybe not just like, oh, you know, I've got less resources to do things, but maybe, you know, not having those resources actually pushes you in a direction where the same way I made that top crop top and shorts, like yeah, I yeah, just used yeah. what I had, you know, which I've always kind mm. of been like that anyways. Mm. Like I've always never really, I haven't spent like millions of pounds on like people to make my work for me or to on this specific, it has to be this like luxury fabric, yeah. um, which is fine if that's how you work. And mm. maybe the, the crisis is going to kind of, lower your quality but i've already been very hands-on very yeah. i make it all myself i use what i have you know um so in that way it might just become even more so that right um but maybe it's going to be more collaborative as well mm -hmm. if you think like every time humankind go through a crisis we always stick together yeah, to get yeah. more done because you know humankind we're feeling cold, the sun's going down, we need to come together to make a fire. Yeah. So I think it might just be more collaborative in that way. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that's a very nice answer. Um, so finally, what is your dream project if money and time wasn't an object? Oh, yeah, I really liked that question. <laughs> if money and time wasn't an object, at the moment, I, I would love to like get involved in specifically the costume design but within the costume design always also the writing right. of the characters and by the writing of the characters is the writing of the story so mm. i'd love to like write a story that ends up becoming a film yeah okay. that is like such yeah. either like a film or a play or something that would you know mm. actually tell the story in a way that isn't just visual yeah. like it would literally just tell the story 
Um, so Mad Max number three or four or wow, whatever's the next so one. <laughs> I would that if money wasn't an issue. Well, I mean, you don't even need money for that. You just need people on board. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting way of looking through story through like clothes and character because it's normally because there's a very like right-brained way of breaking down like the hero's journey, but it's never really thought through the self-expression, visual self-expression, particularly through fashion and clothing that then informs like the story. So it's a very interesting way of looking way into into a narrative. Um, it kind of reminds me, because I'm old, um, of like Matthew Barney a little bit when he would be creating these um, these characters who was, um, it was Matthew Barney, I believe. He was Bjork's um, former partner, now mm. ex-partner. But he was, again, like he was doing very very oh, I don't want to say weird but very like avant-garde <coughs> like creatures and stuff that then formed sort of like characters and yeah and and, and this also brings to me mind actually John Paul Gaultier did the um did the, the uh did the uh costume design for Fifth Element which is an absolute banger so yeah that's a very interesting wait do you have any um any thoughts or feelings about potentially what that story could be um, yeah, I actually, not to give too much away, mm. but I actually started coming up with a fresh idea during my final year in uh, Easter holidays. So we had two weeks off, mm. which were like, I really, because final year is so intense. I really needed that time off. And within like that break, yeah. my brain was like completely switched off the collection and like went a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why am I getting all these like ideas about something completely new? And I was like, oh, I need to save this. And yeah. so in that moment to like get rid of the junk, like I think I've got like hours worth of um, voice notes oh, of wow. me just talking about yeah, this yeah. like story. And then, um, and I was like, it was actually quite good because it helped me finish my collection knowing that, because I think as a creative mm. person, sometimes you get a bit scared about, oh, your last work is the best thing you've done. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the next thing you're doing has to have that same calibre. Yeah. And it's like, oh, can I do it again? Mm. And I think as creative people, because we, you don't just like push ideas out of nowhere. They kind of come to you. Yeah. And for that to come to me at that time was so good because it's like, I felt like, oh, I can finish this, take this out and then move on to the next thing. I already know what it is. Yeah. Um. So what I can say about this idea is that I'm hoping it's like my first written work. Okay. So it's going to be specifically written based yeah. and I'm going to really work with that as opposed to like visual things. Okay. Visual things will accompany mm. it, but like at uni, we're very pushed to like make, you know, it's yeah. like get, get, get some fabric on the stand, make mm. shapes, you know, sew this, do that, print that. And like, I feel like I just need to like sit down and write. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the visual will come with it as well. Okay. So I'm hoping it's like, a lot more characters yeah hence the story uh like a full you know beginning to end written story with dialect and you know lots of layers to the cake yeah yeah um and yeah i hope that at some point i can get a lot of people involved in this like mm. people who've got different skills that i don't carry yeah um like you know camera skills visual uh, vid video skills music skills mm. and like I'm I'm really hoping that I can get a residency or some sort of funding for it as well because yeah. I think it could be a really a really good story. Oh great! Well, I look forward to interviewing you again about that because that sounds like amazing. Um, yeah. Sounds very forward thinking. Um, okay, so lastly, where can people check out your fashion design, art, and written work and follow you on social media? 
Uh, everything is mostly on my Instagram, not gonna lie, which is at Amanda Colares Silva. And the S from Colares is the same S as Silva, so it's not a double S. Right. Um, and yeah, but I do need to get a website as soon as possible. But Instagram, everything's on Instagram, or you can email me as well if you wanna get in contact, which is connected to my Instagram. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to me. It's, it's, I love chatting. So. <laughs>